Good Thursday and welcome to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Glad to have you along here today. We'll bring you feature agricultural news reports along with a look at regional and national agricultural news. And we'll start with regional agricultural news headlines right after this. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Office of Environmental Farming and Innovation has announced the award of $13.2 million in grants for 103 applications throughout the state through the Conservation Agriculture Planning Grants Program. The program was established by the Budget Act of 2021, which appropriated $17 million to CDFA. With this funding, the program will provide up to $14.7 million to eligible applicants for the development of conservation agriculture plans. The remainder will be used for research and technical assistance. The program will fund the development of various types of agricultural conservation plans related to CDFA climate smart agriculture programs, which address risks that climate change poses to agriculture, including two but not limited to drought, uncertain water availability, increased temperatures, and increased pest pressures. California needs plans for conservation on agricultural lands, and this program is a crucial step in offering assistance for farmers and ranchers who want to adopt climate-smart agriculture practices down the road. That according to CDFA Secretary Karen Ross. This is an excellent opportunity for the development and expansion of conservation projects. The fund and plans will help to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions, support agricultural adaptation to climate change impacts and promote environmental and agricultural sustainability. The complete list of grant awardees can be found on the program website by going through www.cdfa.ca.gov. Eligible applicants included tribes, farmers and ranchers who partnered with qualified experts and organizations including resource conservation districts, universities, nonprofits, cooperatives, and groundwater sustainability agencies. The maximum award was $250,000 for a 20-month grant term to prepare conservation plans in the designed categories. Last week, U.S. Representatives Jim Costa of California, Elise Stefanik in New York, and Rick Crawford of Arkansas, along with U.S. Senators John Tester of Montana and Mike Grounds of South Dakota, introduced the Bipartisan Promoting Agriculture Safeguards and Security Act, which will protect the national security by preventing foreign adversaries from taking any ownership or control of the United States' agricultural land and agricultural businesses. As a response to reports of China threatening America's food supply by acquiring U.S. farmland and agricultural companies, Companies. This bill will ensure the U.S. Department of Agriculture is fully involved in reviewing foreign adversaries' acquisition of American companies that may affect the agricultural sector. Food is a national security issue. Increasing foreign ownership of American farms and farmland is a threat to our food security, according to Congressman Costa. He says we need to prevent foreign adversaries like China and Iran from undermining the American agricultural industry. He says we introduced this legislation to ensure American agriculture is operated by American businesses. 
The Promoting Agriculture Safeguards and Security Act prohibits China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea from purchasing U.S. agricultural land and agricultural companies. Adds the Secretary of Agriculture is a standing member of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States to consider agriculture needs when making determinations affecting national security. Requires the president to submit a report to Congress on any waiver granted to a prohibited country and requires reporting from the Secretary of Agriculture on the risk of foreign purchases of agriculture companies to the American agriculture sector. Several representatives co-signed on the bill, including California's David Valadeo. San Joaquin Valley farmers are tearing out older walnut trees and less desirable varieties. They are also looking to plant alternative crops as the price of the nut has plummeted well below the cost of production. Robert Verloop, president and chief executive officer of the California Walnut Board and Walnut Commission, said about last year's season, we had extremely high temperatures up to 117 degrees for three to four days in some areas, and this occurred when walnuts were at their most sensitive stage in growth. He says we conducted our own informal survey of about 75% of the industry and documented pretty clearly that the range is anywhere from 30 to 40% of the walnut volume that was impacted. That means if a handler opens up 100 pounds of walnuts, 30 to 40 pounds is absolutely not usable. According to Stanislaus County walnut farmer Gordon Heinrich of Modesto, the price of walnuts is at a 30-year low and input costs have gone up substantially. He says they're actually operating below the cost of production right now and everybody is scratching their heads trying to figure out where they can cut back on inputs to survive this market situation. He says there are not a lot of places that can be cut. Action on pesticides may have become a little less divisive in California with last month's release of a consensus roadmap for accelerating the state's transition to sustainable pest management under a banner goal of eliminating high-risk chemical applications by the year 2050. A broad-based section of interests that came together for almost two years, mostly by Zoom, agreed on a holistic approach emphasizing health and safety protections for communities while doing more to keep pests out of the state, finding effective alternatives to problem pesticides, and teaching people about pest management. Not everyone agreed on everything, but people on the effort Central Committee called a productive overall effort that could lead to progress on different levels. Their diversity of views didn't come down to supporting or opposing a consensus agreement but rather what priorities to focus on. The roadmap broadens what has long been a conversation about rural pesticide applications and now encompasses urban applications, which may make up more than half of the state's total pesticide use. Still at its heart, the conversation behind the roadmap revolved around whether current processes are enough to protect people, and the answer is it's debatable, according to Gabrielle Ludwig, a member of the primary roadmap work group who works as Director of Sustainability and Environmental Affairs for the Almond Board of California. She says fundamentally what the document and the conversation behind it is about, how does society balance the benefits from the use of pest control materials with the risks and the risks not always borne by the people who benefit from it. The roadmap was released by the State Department of Pesticide Regulation, the California Environmental Protection Agency, and the California Department of Food and Agriculture. It combines integrated pest management, which de-emphasizes the most toxic chemical applications in favor of other effective means with various social equity and a goal of rebalancing economic vitality with protections for community and the environment. Reedley, California-based Family Tree Farms has announced that they have named Ryan Howard as the new sales manager effective immediately. 
In his new role, Howard will oversee the family tree farm sales and support team and continue to build on key relationships with retailers. He has played an integral role in the sales department over the last 11 years at Family Tree Farms and will provide leadership and strategic vision and sales planning as the company continues to grow. Family Tree Farms is a stone fruit and blueberry supplier. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. There's a lot of ag tech out on the market, and choosing from options is hard enough. However, there is a growing consensus that different pieces of ag tech, whether it's a monitoring technology or an irrigation scheduling technology or a sensor or anything else that produces a data set for the grower, function better when data sets are combined rather than separated. Brian Bassett of Farm at RX is a proprietor of this ideology. You know, when we take individual ag technologies by themselves, and I'll just use a, a sensor. Let, we, we don't even have to say whether it's a soil or a plant sensor. Let's just say a sensor, which many organizations in this building today provide to growers. And, and we take that sensor and we go out to an 80-acre field and we randomly place that sensor. Or maybe we select that good area or we select what the farmer calls the bad area. And we, we locate that sensor in that area. The sensor now has limited value because it, well, one, either represents a good area or a bad area, or it's randomly placed. In the case of random placement, we most often find that farmers stop using the technology. So let's take that sensor and let's map that soil first. So let's take a geophysical device and let's make a map of that soil. And we make that map of that soil. We now can look at that and say, okay, we know where the variability exists in this field. And if we take those sensors now and locate them based off of that variability, the sensors now provide a much uh, stronger information chain to us for us to make decisions on, okay? Because we now know that why is that one sensor showing very little water in the soil? Oh, it's a sand. It doesn't hold very much water, so it's supposed to show us that. And why is that one area showing us that water will not penetrate beyond three feet? Oh, because there's a layer down there, and so we now know and have an expectation from that sensor. Well, imagine then if we then took imagery. In our case, our company provides daily satellite imagery, uh, NDVIs, okay? And imagine if you have a map of the soil and you've located the sensors in these very specific areas of the field. And now we take daily imagery and we provide you NDVI imagery of that field. That increases the value now of both the mapping, the sensor, and the NDVI technology. Whereas if I take any of those technologies by themselves, their value is very limited and the actual return on investment to the grower is very limited. Not because ma soil mapping isn't a good technology, but what, where do you derive the value from that soil mapping? You derive it from integrating another technology into it. Most of the growers around here use pressure bombs. To our company, a pressure bomb is a very valuable piece of technology and is very important to our process. 
However, we don't use it to schedule irrigations. We use it to calibrate sensors to our daily images that are properly placed in the soils based on the differences uh, that we identified in the soil mapping process. So again, all of these technologies have tremendous value. Um, our company then also moves clients into automation. Uh, automation is a fantastic technology, but if you don't have an accurate water requirement uh, because you don't have the proper technology in the field sensor-wise to derive a scheduling system from it, it becomes very difficult to use that technology. And so integrated ag tech to us means that properly identifying the use case for each ag technology, putting them with other technologies that support and or uh, create a, cal a catalyst for a greater outcome, right? While AgTech can see some of the most obvious benefits in operations with high variability, Bassett said sometimes it allows the user to see something they didn't even know was there, especially when different data sets are combined. Just as Apple makes iPhones highly, efficiency, highly efficiently in their various uh, plants around the world, uh, farmers would look at their soil and their trees as plants too that they want to run as efficiently as possible. And I can tell you that through our integrating of the various ag technologies, we've learned things on questions we weren't asking, right? So there was information that we've, we've gathered from these technologies only because they were brought together that allowed us to, to answer questions we weren't even asking. Um, I think for our technology, what makes it uh, uniquely different is we don't talk to growers about analysis and correlations, okay? We don't show growers graphs. Um, our system is a color-coded system with numbers, and if you can know that red is, is stress and green is good, then you can use our, our software and our application because it's, it's people who don't speak English can use our software and it's not in Spanish, but it can be utilized by them just because they can look at the colors and, and determine, see the values and, and, and make their judgments just as easily as someone who speaks fluent English. So yeah. to me, that's where we need to go in the future. I think that's the only way that we further ag technology and, and the implementation and practice of it. Uh, two things, one, integrating the various technologies so that they work together seamlessly on in one platform. Two, ease of use. Farmers aren't data analysts, they're not data scientists. Showing them a bunch of graphs is very interesting. I love graphs, I'm a total data geek, so if you show me graphs all day long, I'll dig it most farmers, what they want is they want a recommendation, and so we provide a recommendation. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you.
First, it was a competition issue, but recently foreign ownership of U.S. farmland, especially by China, has become a U.S. national security issue. A Chinese spy balloon spotted over Montana and now U.S. Air Force warning on a proposed Chinese land by North Dakota that is too close to a military drone testing facility. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley targeted the issue in telling farm reporters about his bill to include USA in the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. CFIUS made a decision that they didn't have any uh, authority to stop China from buying farmland uh, in uh, North Dakota, which seems to be very close to some of our military facilities. Now, I'm not saying that I know for sure there's a connection to our national security and Chinese buying that farmland. But the Washington Post reports that Air Force Assistant Secretary Andrew Hunter wrote North Dakota senators the proposed corn milling site presents a significant threat to national security, citing impacts to military operations. He's talking about the drone facility in North Dakota. Nearly half of U.S. farmland is owned by Americans over 65 years of age. So that means in the next 20 years, It could be up to 370 million acres of farmland could be changing hands. A second Grassley bill would bar the farm credit system from lending to foreign investors for U.S. farmland. A bill enacted last year is aimed at transparency. Under the bill, USDA is required to build an interactive database to show foreign ownership disclosures. And the USDA will report to Congress on the impact of these investments. Especially in driving up farmland prices. Most foreign-owned farmland here is held by allies Canada, the Netherlands, Italy, and Germany. USDA says China, Russia, and Iran together only accounted for 200,000 acres in 2019, but an amount that now seems understated considering the latest national security concerns. The February FAO food price index averaged 131.2 points in January of 2023, down 1.1 points or 0.8% from December, marking the 10th consecutive monthly decline. With this latest decline, the index has fallen 28.6 points or 17.9% from its peak in March of 2022. The vegetable oil price index averaged 140.4 points in January, down 2.9% month on month and nearly 25% below its level a year ago. The dairy price index averaged 136.2 points in January, down 1.4% from December, hitting its lowest level in 12 months. The decline in January reflected lower international prices of butter and milk powders. The meat price index averaged 113.6 points in January, down marginally in December, continuing a decline for the seventh consecutive month, but it still stood 1.3% above its year earlier level. Finally, the sugar price index averaged 115.8 points in January, down 1.1% from December. In 2021, the average dollar spent by U.S. consumers on domestically produced food returned 39.4 cents as property income. Property income is income received by owners of capital assets such as land, equipment, and intellectual property after they pay for inputs, labor, and output taxes. The 39.4 cents as property income marked a 0.3 cent increase from a revised 2020 estimate of 39.1 cents and the second year in a row in which property income share of the food 
food dollar set a record high for USA Economic Research Service's food dollar series. The share of the food dollar that compensates labor through salaries and benefits was 50.3 cents in 2021, a 1.2 cent decrease from 2020. The remaining food dollar shares were each 5.1 cents for output taxes and imports, which includes imported ingredients and other inputs needed for domestic food production. Annual shifts in a primary factor shares of the food dollar may occur for a variety of reasons, according to USDA. How will the public react to USDA's proposed school meal nutrition proposals? USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack has just announced proposed new nutrition standards for school meals, and if history is any guide, they will cause quite a stir. And Vilsack told reporters he expects there will be likely a lot of praise for the rules, also some major pushback on them. Well, it's like Goldilocks. Some people are going to say it's too hot. Some people are going to say it's too cold. And the challenge is to make sure that we're complying with dietary guidelines and the science and at the same time trying to be helpful on the real world implications of all this. But at the end of the day, it's about 15.3 million kids eating school breakfast that needs to be nutritious and 29.6 million children who have to have a, a decent lunch. Vilsack said there may not be as much opposition to the proposed rules this time because they are being phased in gradually over about five or six years. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. House Agriculture Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson recently announced subcommittee chairs and jurisdictions for the 118th Congress. The Pennsylvania Republican says of these subcommittee chairs, their expertise and partnership are essential to fulfilling this committee's mandate of delivering certainty and prosperity to American agriculture and its entire value chain. Representative Austin Scott of Georgia will serve as the vice chair of the full committee and chair of the General Farm Commodities Risk Management and Credit Subcommittee. California's Doe LaMoffa will chair the subcommittee on forestry, and Indiana's Jim Barrett is chair of the subcommittee on conservation research and biotechnology. Meanwhile, Minnesota's Brad Finstad was appointed chair of the subcommittee on nutrition, foreign agriculture, and horticulture. Tracy Manikansas was appointed as chair of the livestock subcommittee, and South Dakota's Dusty Johnson is chair of the subcommittee on commodities, markets, digital assets, and rural development. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 